Uvila Audio presents The Sea Fairies, Volume 9. Chapter 19 King Anko to the Rescue. The great magician Zog never slept. He was always watchful and alert. Some strange power warned him that his prisoners were about to escape. Scarcely had the four left the castle by the broken window when the monster stepped from a doorway below and saw them. Instantly he blew upon a golden whistle, and at the summons a band of wolffish appeared and dashed after the prisoners. These creatures swam so swiftly that soon they were between the fugitives and the dome, and then they turned and with wicked eyes and sharp fangs began a fierce attack upon the mermaids and the earth-dwellers. Trot was a little frightened at the evil looks of the sea-wolves, whose heads were enormous and whose jaws contained rows of curved and pointed teeth. But Aqua Rain advanced upon them with her golden sword, and every touch of the charmed weapon instantly killed an enemy, so that one by one the wolffish rolled over onto their backs and sank helplessly downward through the water, leaving the prisoners free to continue their way toward the opening in the dome. Zog witnessed the destruction of his wolves and uttered a loud laugh that was terrible to hear. Then the dread monster determined to arrest the fugitives himself. In order to do this, he was forced to discover himself in all the horror of his awful form, a form he was so ashamed of and loathed so greatly that he always strove to keep it concealed, even from his own eyes. But it was important that his prisoners should not escape. Hastily casting off the folds of the robe that enveloped him, Zog allowed his body to uncoil and shoot upward through the water in swift pursuit of his victims. His cloven hooves upon which he usually walked being now useless, were drawn up under him, while coil after coil of his eel-like body wriggled away like a serpent. At his shoulders two broad feathery wings expanded, and these enabled the monster to cleave his way through the water with terrific force. Zog was part man, part beast, part fish, part fowl, and part reptile, his undulating body was broad and thin, and like the body of an eel. It was as repulsive as one could well imagine, and no wonder Zog hated it and kept it covered with his robe. Now, with his horned head and its glowing eyes thrust forward, wings flapping from his shoulders, and his eely body ending with a fish's tail, wriggling far behind him, this strange and evil creature was a thing of terror, even to the sea-dwellers, who were accustomed to remarkable sights. The mermaids, the sailor, and the child, one after another, looking back as they swam onward toward liberty and safety, saw the monster coming, and shuddered with uncontrollable fear. They were drawing nearer to the dome by this time, yet it was still some distance away. The four redoubled their speed, darting through the water with the swiftness of sky-rockets. But fast as they swam, Zog swam faster, 
and the good queen's heart began to throb as she realized she would be forced to fight her loathsome foe. Presently, Zog's long body was circling round them like a whirlwind, lashing the water into foam and gradually drawing nearer and nearer to his victims. His eyes were no longer glowing coals. They were balls of flame, and as he circled around them, he laughed aloud that horrible <laughs> laugh which was far more terrifying than any cry of rage could be. The queen struck out with her golden sword, but Zog wrapped a coil of his thin body around it and wrested it from her hand, crushing the weapon into a shapeless mass. Then Aquarain waved her fairy wand, but in a flash the monster sent it flying away through the water. Captain Bill now decided that they were lost. He drew Trot closer to his side and placed one arm around her. I can't save you, dear little mate, he said sadly, but we've lived a long time together, and now we'll die together. I knew Trot when we first saw them mermaids, as we'd, we'd... Never live to tell the tale, said the child. But never mind, Cap'n Bill. We've done the best we could, and we've had a fine time. Forgive me, forgive me, please, cried Aqua Rain despairingly. I've tried to save you, my poor friends, but what's that? exclaimed the princess, pointing upward. They all looked past Zog's whirling body, which was slowly enveloping them in its folds, toward the round opening of the dome. A dark object had appeared there, sliding downward like a huge rope, and descending toward them with lightning rapidity. They gave a great gasp as they recognized the countenance of King Anko, the sea serpent, its gray hair and whiskers bristling like those of an angry cat, and the usually mild blue eyes glowing with a ferocity even more terrifying than the orbs of Zog. The magician gave a shrill scream at the sight of his dreaded enemy, and abandoning his intended victims, Zog made a quick dash to escape. But nothing in the sea could equal the strength and quickness of King Anko when he was roused. In a flash, the sea serpent had caught Zog fast in his coils, and his mighty body swept round the monster and imprisoned him tightly. The four, so suddenly rescued, swam away to a safer distance from the struggle, and then they turned to watch the encounter between the two great opposing powers of the ocean depths. Yet there was no desperate fight to observe, for the combatants were unequal. The end came before they were even aware of it. Zog had been taken by surprise, and his great fear of Anko destroyed all of his magic power. When the sea serpent slowly released those awful coils, a mass of jelly-like pulp floated downward through the water, and with no remnant of life remaining in it, no form to show it had once been Zog, the magician. Then Anko shook his body that the water might cleanse it, and advanced his head toward the group of four whom he had so opportunely rescued. It is all over, friends, he said in his gentle tones, while a mild expression once more reigned on his comical features. 
you may go home at any time you please, for the way through the dome will be open as soon as I get my body down through it. Indeed, so amazing was the length of the great sea serpent that only part of him had descended through the hole and into the dome. Without waiting for the thanks of those he had rescued, he swiftly retreated to the ocean above, and with grateful hearts they followed him, glad to leave the cavern where they had endured so much anxiety and danger. Chapter 20 The Home of the Ocean Monarch Trot sobbed quietly with her head on Captain Bill's shoulder. She had been a brave little girl during the trying times they had experienced, and never once had she given way to tears, however desperate their fate had seemed to be. But now that the one enemy in all the sea to be dreaded was utterly destroyed, and all the dangers passed, the reaction was so great that she could not help having just one good cry, as she naively expressed it. Captain Bill was a big sailor man, hardened by age and many adventures, but even he felt a lump in his throat that he could not swallow, try as he might. Captain Bill was glad. He was mostly glad on Trot's account, for he loved his sweet childish companion very dearly, and did not want any harm to befall her. They were now in the wide, open sea, with liberty to go wherever they wished, and if Captain Bill could have had his say, he would have gone straight home and carried Trot to her mother. But the mermaids had to be considered. Aqua Rain and Clea had been true and faithful friends to their earth guests, while dangers were threatening, and it would not be very gracious to leave them at once. Moreover, King Anko was now with them, his big head keeping pace with the mermaids as they swam, and this mighty preserver had a distinct claim upon both Trot and Cap'n Bill. The sailor felt that it would not be polite to ask to go home so soon. "'If you people had come to visit me as I invited you to do,' said the sea serpent, "'all this bother and trouble would have been saved. I had my palace all put in order to receive the earth-dwellers, and sat in my den waiting patiently to receive you, yet you never came.' "'That reminds me,' Trot said, drying her eyes. "'You never told us about that third pain you once had.' "'Finally,' continued Anko, "'I sent to inquire as to what had become of you, "'and Merla said you had been gone from the palace a long time. "'She was getting very anxious about you. "'Then I made inquiries.' Everyone in the sea loves to serve me, except the sea devils and their cousins, the octopi. And it was not long before I heard you had been captured by Zog. Was the third pain as bad as the other two? asked Trot. Naturally this news disturbed me and made me very unhappy, said Anko. For I well knew my aqua reign that the magician's evil powers were greater than your own fairy accomplishments. But I had never been able to find Zarg's enchanted castle, and so I was at a loss to know how to save you from your dreadful fate. 
After I had wasted a good deal of time thinking it over, I decided if the Sea Devils were slaves of Zog, the Prince of Sea Devils must know where the enchanted castle was located. I knew this prince and where to find him, for he always lay on a hollow rock at the bottom of the sea, and never moved from that position. His people brought food to him, and took his commands, so I had no trouble in finding this evil prince, and I went to him and asked the way to Zog's castle. Of course he would not tell me. He was even cross and disrespectful, just as I had expected him to be. So I allowed myself to become angry and killed him, thinking he was much better dead than alive. But after the sea devil was destroyed, to my surprise, I found that all these years he had been lying over a round hole in the rock and covering it with his dreadful scarlet body. A light shone through this hole, so I thrust my head in and found a great domed cave underneath with a splendid silver castle built at the bottom. You, my friends, were at that moment swimming toward me as fast as you could come, and the monster Zog, my enemy, for centuries, was close behind you. Well, the rest of the story you know. I would be angry with all of you for so carelessly getting captured had the incident not led to the destruction of the one evil genius in all my ocean. I shall rest easier and much happier now that Zog is dead. He has defied me for hundreds of years. But about that third pain, asked Trot. If you don't tell us now, I'm afraid that I'll forget to ask you. If you happen to forget, just remind me of it, said Anko. I'll be sure to tell you. While Trot was thinking this over, the swimmers drew near to a great circular palace made of solid alabaster, polished as smooth as ivory. Its roof was one vast dome, for domes seemed to be fashionable in ocean houses. There were no doors or windows, but instead of these several round holes appeared in different parts of the dome, some being high up, and some low down, and some in between. Out of one of these holes, which just fitted, stretched the long brown body of the sea serpent. Trot, being astonished at this sight, asked, Didn't you take all of you when you went to the cavern, Akko? Nearly all, my dear was the reply, accompanied by a cheerful smile, for Anko was quite proud of his great length. But not quite all. Some of me remained, as usual, to keep house while my head was away, but I've been coiling up ever since we started back, and you will soon be able to see every inch of me altogether. Even as he spoke, his head slid into a round hole, and at a signal from Aqua Rain, they all paused outside and waited. Presently there came to them four beautiful winged fishes with faces like doll babies. Their long hair and eyelashes were of a purple color, and their cheeks had rosy spots that looked as if they had been painted upon them. His Majesty be too welcome, said one of the doll fishes in a sweet voice. Be kind enough to enter the royal palace in our ocean monarch. We'll graciously receive you. Seems to me, said Trot to the Queen, these things are putting on airs. 
Perhaps they don't know we're friends of Arco. The king insists on certain formalities when anyone visits him, was Aquarine's reply. It is his right that his dignity should be maintained. They followed their wigged conductors to one of the upper openings, and as they entered, Aquarine said in a clear voice, May the glory and power of the ocean king continue forever. Then she touched the palm of her hand to her forehead in a token of allegiance, and Clea did the same. So did Captain Bill, and Trot followed suit. The brief ceremony being ended, the child looked curiously around to see what the palace of the mighty Anko looked like. An extensive hall lined with alabaster was before them. In the floor were five of the round holes. Upon the walls were engraved many interesting scenes of ocean life, all chiseled very artistically by the tusks of walruses, whom Trot was afterwards informed are greatly skilled at such work. A few handsome rugs of woven sea grasses were spread upon the floor, but otherwise the vast hall was bare of furniture. The doll-faced fishes escorted them to an upper room where a table was set, and here the travelers were invited to refresh themselves. As all four were exceedingly hungry, they welcomed the repast, which was served by an army of lobsters in royal purple aprons and caps. The meal being finished, they again descended to the hall, which seemed to occupy all the middle of the building. And now their conductor said, His Majesty is ready to receive you in his den. They swam downward through one of the round holes in the floor and found themselves in a brilliantly lit chamber, which appeared bigger than all the rest of the palace put together. In the center was the quaint head of King Onko, and around it was spread a great coverlet of purple and gold woven together. This concealed all of his body and stretched from wall to wall of the circular room. Welcome, friends, said Uncle pleasantly. How do you like my home? It's very grand, replied Trot. Just the place for a sea serpent, seems to me, said Captain Bill. I'm glad you admire it said the king. Perhaps I ought to tell you that from this day you four belong to me. How's that? asked the girl surprised. It is the law of the ocean, declared Anko. Whoever saves any living creature from violent death owns that creature forever afterwards, while life lasts. You will realize how just this law is when you remember that had I not saved you from Zorg, you would now be dead. The law was suggested by Captain Kid Glove when he once visited me. Do you mean Captain Kid? Because if you do... asked Trot. Give him his full name, said Anko. Captain Kid Glove was... There's no glove in it, protested Trot. I ought to know. I've read about him. Did it not say anything about a glove? asked Anko. Nothing at all. It just called him Captain Kidd, replied Trot. She's right, old man, added Captain Bill. Books, said the sea serpent, are good enough as far as they go. But it seems to me your earth books don't go far enough. Captain Kidd Glove was a gentleman pirate, 
a kid glove pirate. To leave off the glove and call him just a kid is very disrespectful. Oh, you told me to remind you of that third pain," said the little girl. "Which proves my friendship for you," returned the sea serpent, blinking his blue eyes thoughtfully. "No one likes to be reminded of a pain, and that third pain was, was." "What was it?" asked Trot. "It was a stomach ache," replied the king with a sigh. "What made it?" she inquired. "My carelessness." I'd been away to foreign parts, seeing how Earth people were getting along. I found the Germans dancing the German, and the Dutch making Dutch cheese, and Belgians combing their Belgian hairs, and Turks eating turkey, and Sardinians sardonically pickling sardines. Then I called on the Prince of Wales, and you mean the Prince of Wales? Corrected Trot. I mean what I say, my dear. I saw the battlefield where the Bull Run, but the Americans didn't. And when I got to France, I paid a Napoleon to see Napoleon with his bones apart. He was, of course, you mean. Trot was beginning, but the king would not give her a chance to correct him this time. He was very hungry for Hungary. He continued. And was a Russian so fast toward the poles? I thought he'd discover them. So, as I was not accorded a royal welcome, I took French leave and came home again. But the pain. On the way home, continued Uncle calmly, I was a little absent-minded and ate an anchor. There was a long chain attached to it, and as I continued to swallow the anchor, I continued to eat the chain. I never realized what I had done until I found a ship at the other end of the anchor. Then I bit it off. The ship? Asked Trot. No, the chain. I do not care for ships, as I saw it contained some skippers. On the way home, the chain and anchor began to lie heavily on my stomach. I did not seem to digest them properly, and by the time I got to my palace, where you will notice there is no throne. I was thrown into the throes of severe pain, so I sent for Doctor Shark. Are all your doctors sharks? Asked the child. Yes. Are your doctors not sharks? Not all of them, said Trot. That's true, remarked Captain Bill. Now then, when you talk of lawyers, though, I am not talking of lawyers, said Uncle reprovingly. I'm talking about my pain. I don't imagine anyone could suffer more than I did with that stomach ache. Did you suffer long? Inquired Trot. Why, about seven thousand four hundred eighty-two feet, and I mean a long time. It seemed like a long time. Doctor Shark said I ought to put a mustard poultice on my stomach, so I uncoiled myself and summoned my servants, and they began putting on the mustard plaster. It had to be bound all around so it would not slip off. I began to look like an express package. In about four weeks, fully one half of the pain had been covered by the mustard poultice, which got so hot it hurt me worse than the stomachache did. I know," said Trot. "I had one once." "One what?" asked Uncle. "A mustard plaster. They smart pretty bad, but..." I guess they're a really good thing. I got myself unwrapped as soon as I could," 
continued the king. And then I hunted for the doctor who hid himself until my anger had subsided. He has never sent in a bill, so I think he must be terribly ashamed of himself. You're lucky, sir, to have escaped so easy, said Captain Bill. But you seem pretty well now. Yes, I am more careful of what I eat, replied the sea serpent. But I was saying when Trot interrupted me that you all belong to me because I have saved your lives. By the law of the ocean, you must obey me in everything. The sailor scowled a little at hearing this, but Trot laughed and said, The law of the ocean ain't our law, cause we live on land. Just now you are living in the ocean, declared Anko. And as long as you live here, you must obey my commands. What are your commands? inquired the child. Ah, that's the point I was coming to, returned the king with his comical smile. The ocean is a beautiful place, and we who belong here love it dearly. In many ways it's a nicer place for a home than the earth. We have no sunstrokes, no mosquitoes, no earthquakes or candy shops to bother us. But I am convinced the ocean is no proper dwelling place for earth people and I believe the mermaids did an unwise thing when they invited you to visit them. I don't, protested the girl. We've had a fine time, haven't we, Captain Bill? Well, it's been different from what I expected, admitted the sailor. Our only thought was to give the earth people pleasure, Your Majesty, pleaded Aquarine. I know, I know, my dear Queen. It was very good of you, but it was still an unwise act, for earth people are constantly in danger under water, as we would be upon land. So having won the right to command you all, I order you to take little Mary and Captain Bill straight home, and there restore them to their natural forms. It's a dreadful condition, I know, and they must have two stumbling legs instead of a strong, beautiful fishtail, but it is the fate of earth-dwellers, and they cannot escape it. In my case, Your Majesty, make it one leg, suggested Captain Bill. Ah, yes, I remember. One leg and a wooden stick to keep it company. I issue this order, my friends, not because I am not fond of your society, but to keep you from getting into more trouble in a country where all is strange and unnatural to you. Am I right, or do you think I am wrong? You're quite correct, sir, said Captain Bill, nodding his head in approval. Well, I'm ready to go home, said Trot. But in spite of Zog, I've enjoyed my visit, and I shall always love the mermaids for being so good to me. That speech pleased Aquarine and Clea, who smiled upon the child and kissed her affectionately. We shall escort you home at once, announced the Queen. But before you go, said King Anko, I will give you a rare treat. It is one you will remember as long as you live. You shall see every inch of the mightiest sea serpent in the world, all at once. As he spoke, the purple and gold cloth was lifted by unseen hands and disappeared from view. And now Cap'n Bill and Trot looked down upon thousands and thousands of coils of the sea serpent's body, which filled all the space at the bottom of the immense circular room. It reminded them of a great coil of garden hose, only it was so much bigger around and very much longer. 
Except for the astonishing size of the Ocean King, the sight was not an especially interesting one. But they told old Anko that they were pleased to see him, because it was evident he was proud of his figure. Then the cloth descended again, and covered all but the head, after which they bade the king goodbye and thanked him for all his kindness to them. I used to think sea serpents were horrid creatures, said Trot. But now I know they're good and, and, uh, and... And big, added Captain Bill, realizing his little friend could not find another word that was complimentary. <laughs>